Hey, so reminds us it's another amazing episode of uh, the show. This is, I believe, guest 62, or we're losing count, but in the 60s range. Today, we're talking about a really cool concept, um, which is people who traditionally weren't allowed access to investing in startups uh, now have the unique opportunity to through a company called WeFunder. Um, and today, our guest is the VP of fundraising, uh, none other than Johnny Price interestingly last name <laughs> for a company that raises money and happens to do <laughs> fundraising so uh well johnny happy to have you here man thank you for making the time and welcome to Nashville. Me, great to be here for, for sure uh well johnny i mean i'd lo- love to hear like just what you do as the head of fundraising and uh, a little bit of context of yourself and, and uh, we funder at the same time yeah absolutely so um as vp of fundraising we fund a, a kind of two main roles on the team one is to find and connect with founders that um, may be interested in uh, raising capital from their customers and community, as well as uh, VCs um, and angel investors. Um, So our team is talking to a lot of founders and building relationships with VCs and accelerators and angel groups that are connected to founders. Um, And then the second component of the role is uh, basically helping those founders uh, succeed on WeFunder. So setting expectations, um, helping them put together an awesome profile page, um, you know, working with them on their fundraising strategy and marketing plan, um, helping them get the word out and, you know, raise, raise the money they need as quickly um, as possible. Um, so that's what I do. My background, um, I've been at WeFunder for four years now. Um, company was founded back in 2012. Um, so I'm kind of late to the party, uh, 10 years into this journey now. Um, feels like it's really been picking up uh, recently, though. Um, before WeFunder, I was uh, running the US team at a nonprofit called Kiva.org um, for seven years. We did crowdfunded microloans for entrepreneurs around the world. Um, and I was leading the team, bringing that model to um, small business owners in the US. And before that, management consulting from the UK, originally live in Nashville now with my wife and three little kids. Nice, nice. Uh, I also like checked on the profile and you sometimes are a professor at University of San Francisco. Yeah, I was an adjunct professor there um, for a year uh, when I was still at Kiva, teaching a class in uh, the evaluation of impact in the nonprofit sector. Um, which uh, was a fun um, little sojourn. Um, and then, yeah, I've kind of got around a little bit. I had the privilege of serving on the Federal Reserve Board's Community Advisory Council when I was at Kiva. Actually, that overran into the WeFunder time as well. So we were presenting to the Board of Governors every every few months, um, presenting to Jay Powell about, um, you know, issues pertaining to community development. Um, and you know he's she, she's the uh, secretary. What? Did, no, no, she's the. What is her title? He's the, um, he's the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, and then all the all the governors um, of the Federal Reserve Bank as well. Um, and so trying to uh, spotlight for them, shine a spotlight on you know kind of uh, yeah maybe low wow. income communities and their challenges. Um, and <laughs> normally they're talking to Jamie Dimon and yeah. you know, CEOs of uh, big Wall Street banks, and so we would. Uh, Council was trying to be a voice for um, the little guy, um, which was a pretty pretty awesome experience. Well, well, it seems like you're the right guy for the role of fun- VP of fundraising at a, at a startup that helps people fundraise. It seems like there's yeah, two layers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and especially at Kiva. Um, yeah. How do you, by the way, one question I had is how did you find yourself in WeFunder, you know, starting at WeFunder? Like when did that, uh, how did that come yeah. about? 
So at Kiva, we were doing crowdfunded microloans. So it was really small loans. $5,000 was the average loan. Um, and uh, that might be funded by, you know, 100 people lending 50 bucks each. Um, and so then I was uh, leaving Kiva. I knew I was leaving Kiva. So I was looking for what was next. And one of the challenges I'd had at Kiva was like Kiva's a nonprofit and it was entirely reliant on donations. So it was difficult to kind of scale the operations. So I was looking for maybe a more scalable model that where you're kind of generating ad revenue that you can use to invest in growth. Um, and then secondly, with the Kiva model, the lenders weren't getting a rate of return. So uh, maybe they got their $25 loan back and they could relend it, but they they didn't, um, they couldn't kind of make a return. And so that just basically limited the capital that we were able to raise uh, and deploy uh, to help entrepreneurs. And so we did about 25 million of loans in, in the years I was there. And it was growing at like 30, 40% a year. Um, but there was a break on growth because we weren't offering a rate of return to lenders, investors. And so then seeing the WeFunder model where investors like hope they might invest in the next Uber and make a ton of money, um, you know, or like they're lending to a restaurant in their community and they're going to get paid back an interest rate on their loan. And so now there's like a potential rate of return. And so that significantly increases the amount of capital that investors are interested in deploying, um, which that means you can scale the model on the supply side. Um, so I saw those kind of two major challenges with the Kiva model that were being addressed by WeFunder, but staying in the kind of, you know, access to capital for founders and entrepreneurs space. Um, so it seemed like a really good fit and connected with the team. Just awesome team. And their office was literally two blocks away from me and my wife's house at the time in Noe Valley. So I had like a... What, uh, what, like a were they on Church Street? Because I grew up on... They were, Church yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were really? on Church Street. Mm-hmm. Nick is a... They're, they're, how did that... Um, so that, that for anyone listening, Noe Valley is not necessarily downtown San Francisco. So just... Uh, was it in a house or mm-hmm. yeah. like an apartment? I, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like 10 of us working out of the apartment at the time. And then now we're about 70 people. Um so it's grown, grown a lot, especially in the last year or two. And that's interesting. Uh, you know, prior to, I guess, being introduced myself into to WeFunder, I think there were things called like um, Indiegogo or what is it called? Um, Kickstarter. I, yeah, Kickstarter, maybe Republic. Uh, how, how does WeFunder set itself apart from those? Or like what's the, you know, the, the relationship there? Yeah, so Indiegogo and Kickstarter are two uh, perks-based crowdfunding platforms. So that's where you're kind of funding a project ahead of time and you're getting a T-shirt or you're getting the product at a discount. Um, And so, you know, that you would say is perks-based crowdfunding. And then what we do is uh, investment crowdfunding is is kind of the name for it. We're actually trying to replace the term uh, investment crowdfunding crowdfunding. (laughs) or equity crowdfunding. We don't really like the name crowdfunding partly because... A lot of people do. You didn't say, oh, that, is that like Kickstarter and Nikogo? Um, so we're trying to move away from equity crowdfunding and talk about founders running community rounds and raising raising capital from their community in a community round um, versus crowdfunding. But, you know, uh, the law is called regulation crowdfunding. Uh-huh. Um, and the, the kind of genre of uh, crowdfunding that we are, as opposed to perks-based crowdfunding, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, what we do is investment crowdfunding. So that can actually be debt or equity. So you can invest in a loan on WeFunder, um, but most of what we do is equity. Um, and so if you're a tech startup and you're raising equity capital, as well as raising from angels and VCs, you can now 
open it up to your LinkedIn connections and the WeFunder investor base and your customers um, and raise more money from more people. And then within investment crowdfunding, there's a few different platforms. Um, WeFunder and Republic, I would say, are the leading two. That's that's interesting. Like uh, just um, kind of having that vantage point of uh, funding a startup to, uh, on on your guys's platform. It's it's cool and uh, like interesting. Do you think that startups would want the public? You know, because I guess like traditionally before going to the public, a company would you know have to be mergers and acquisitions, or they'd have to get you know listen to the Nasdaq to to receive that funding do you think that founders are doing this because they need the capital or do you think like they're doing this because they want to just uh broaden their their investor list like and and uh, i guess we could just start there and uh, i want to hear from you yeah i think there's kind of two main value propositions that we funded to founders um the coolest value proposition i think is you're not you're not doing we funder because you need the money you can easily raise from VCs, let's say, or angel investors, or however you want to raise money. You, you have you have investors throwing money at you because your startup is so hot, right? And you're growing so fast, and like you're so brilliant as a founder, everyone wants to invest in you. And you're not doing WeFunder because you you need the money. You're doing WeFunder because you know, as well as raising from VCs, and I always frame it as a complementary thing, right? Um, rather than a you know replacement it's not like it's vcs or we funder do both right um and so mercury bank they raised a 120 million series b then they opened up a five million dollar allocation to their customers not because they needed the money but just because they thought it would um be an awesome way to delight their customers to let them invest in them alongside uh were there um i'm just curious like for like the credited investor role or law um does that, how did, is that, is there a way around it? Because you guys have a platform or is there a way that you guys needed to, or is there something you guys did to get around that? Or uh, like, what's kind of like the legality here? Like say I, you know, me, I'm not accredited, right? Like, and I'm not trying to be an angel investor necessarily, but like, do you think that, what, what, what makes uh, the, the, the whole thing possible? Just since um, uh, I feel like there was a, I guess like a common misconception that you have to be accredited and all that. Yeah. So since the 1930s, there was a Securities Act where you had to be an accredited investor to invest in private startups. Um, the Jobs Act passed Congress in 2012. Our founders helped to get that uh, law through Congress in 2012. Um, and that paved the way for what we do. So regulation crowdfunding was a part of the Jobs Act, and that was rolled out by the SEC in May 2016. And so since since May 2016, unaccredited investors have been able to invest as well as accredited investors. Um, and those laws were improved uh, about a year ago in March of 2021. Um, and so, uh, yeah, now anyone can invest in startups, not just uh, rich people. And you can become an investor, an angel investor in a startup when we funded today um, for $100 um, in a few minutes, like browse hundreds of startups that are on the platform. If one of them catches your eye and you think it looks cool, um, then you can become an investor in them for a hundred bucks. Um, we roll investors up to one line on the cap table. Um, but yeah, no longer do you need to be accredited to invest in startups. That's a big kind of and, know, and this essential, happened, the essential part of what we do. The, the, this rule you're talking about happened last year in 2021. Like they, they took uh, 2016. 2016. Yeah, I'm familiar with like them. 
saying that you need to you could you could be like you could have a series seven and you'd be fitting the criteria but i guess there is there a, a discrepancy between like uh is there is it like a credit being an accredited investor does that still hold i guess the value it once did or um i guess it holds less value uh, <laughs> than it used to because of uh, we funder and this regulation crowdfunding exemption but most startups are still uh raising capital through regulation d um we use regulation crowdfunding as the sec exemption but most startups are raising capital through regulation d and to invest in regulation d kind of more or less you need to be accredited and so if you want to invest in a startup that's raising capital through regulation d like through an angel list platform or something like that then mm. you do need to be accredited so there's still a lot of value uh a lot of sure you, know, you might say inequity uh where yeah. <laughs> you know, 92 percent of the population that aren't accredited can't invest in most of the startups that are raising capital in silicon valley today um but yeah we're trying to we're trying to change the game and make it so in in five years time like every startup is going to raise part of every round from their customers and community one because it's going to accelerate their growth um because if your customers invest in you they'll spend more money with you and tell more people about you and it's generally something you want to do as a founder to make your customers happy good best practice um but also um because you know it's it's a noble thing to do it's a good thing to do we hope people will kind of buy into our mission and vision that like why should rich people get all the wealth that's created by the next uber ipoing or yeah. airbnb ipoing wouldn't it be cool to spread that wealth around like I feel like this is kind of one of the biggest challenges of our what uh it's right okay. do you think do you think that 100 bucks is uh is that the minimum or like what's the maximum? What's the minimum? minimum for, is 100, yeah. And then like, uh, it's, it's certainly different from a stock, right? Because these these companies don't trade on a floor and they, they, they stay at the same valuation for probably a year or two or a couple of months at least. Yeah, it is a stock. Um, it is a it's stock. Different. It's different to, I mean, most of what we do is equity investing. Um, we do some debt as well. But uh, it's, yeah, it's different to, you know, buying a stock on the public stock market and that you can't uh, trade it um, easily. Uh, there's a one-year lockup legally. And then even after that one year, there's much less liquidity. We think there'll be more liquidity over time, but probably never the liquidity that you get on uh, Robinhood, you know, <laughs> or Wall Street. Um, so that's, a, that's an important difference for sure. Uh, well, I, I just got to ask, do you know, like what, what inspired the, the founders of WeFunder to, to kind of create what they, they have right now? Just, I mean, did they see that they weren't accredited? Like wh wh what's the origin story? Just had to, had to ask. Yeah, they, um, they wanted to invest in their friends' startups and they weren't able to because they weren't accredited. And they said, that's unfair and not very American. <laughs> uh, so they set about changing the law. And uh, thankfully, with other people as well, they were able to, to get the Jobs Act through Congress that paved the way to allow you and me to invest in startups. Um, so, but that was, it was a personal, born out of personal frustration you, with the, with right. the inequity of the system. Do you, I guess, personally, are you allowed to invest in what's that? No, as a VP, I'm not allowed to invest, sadly. Oh, man. Um, well, I was reading, you know, from the, the, the news around WeFunder that a couple of venture-backed businesses decided to list uh, list uh, shares or, you know, raise money from their their um, uh, fans or the general public on, on the the platform do you find that the majority of the listings on WeFunder are from 
venture backed startups or what's like kind of the, the, the general uh, flavor of uh, like who, who, who's asking for community funding? Yeah, I'd say maybe the majority by investment volume dollars um, because, you know, Mercury and Replit and Lavos and, you know, a few more, uh, you know, will raise $5 million very quickly. Um, but, you know, probably majority by number is like, you know, smaller early stage friends and family rounds, um, pre-seed companies that are maybe pre, pre-venture pre back in, they're pretty early. We also do Main Street as well. So coffee shop, brewery, restaurant uh, can raise on WeFunder. Um, so a lot of companies are, are more Main Street as well. You said a coffee shop a brew- or a brewery can, 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 can uh, what is it called? Um... They have to be small businesses, I'm guessing. Just maybe consumer, direct to consumer, or they could be anything, really. Uh, like, yeah. What's the criteria? Um, I mean, there's we are industry agnostic. We do you know wide variety of industries: biotech, B two B SaaS, you know, um, flying cars, coffee shops, and uh, from from you know one one solo founder all the way up to. You know, a company with thousands of employees. And let's say, like, I'm a, a future user of WeFunder. Like, do I just go on WeFunder.com and make an account, and things get verified, or how does that process look for the consumer? Yeah, go to WeFunder.com. You can browse through the hundreds of startups that are on there right now. Choose one that you like, and you can invest in them really easily with a credit card or think a bank account. And um, super easy to become an angel investor in there. Do you guys take crypto or just cash right now? Or? We don't take crypto, yeah. We accepted it a while back, but um, oh, wow. it was kind of causing Crazy. causing more problems <laughs> than it was worth from a regulatory uh, and an admin perspective. So we, we switched that off. Um, so yeah, right now it's just kind of uh, uh, regular, conventional um, fiat money. Came to my mind is like, how does... Uh... The existing venture capitalist or you know existing investors in a startup feel about you know say their company wanted to go to WeFunder and put their thing on the the marketplace for fundraising that behavior is encouraged or like what's been the response from them to your knowledge? Yeah, mixed. I would say sometimes um, there's a reluctance. I think like you know um, it's kind of like you know the the CEO of Hilton Hotels probably like wasn't a huge fan of Airbnb, right? And thought the the kind of expertise and the kind of professionalism of Airbnb of Hilton was, you know, important for someone, you know, staying in, in somewhere when they go on vacation. Um, whereas the more decentralized, democratized nature of Airbnb is, you know, kind of too risky yeah. and not what we want. So there's maybe some elements of that. Um, there definitely is like a disruption to conventional investors and VC, right? But I think, you know, we're we're definitely not anti-VC. We see like the best founders raising from both VCs and WeFunder and from their community. Um, And so more and more, I think we're having VCs where, you know, they're sending us deals, uh, their portfolio companies, especially, you know, maybe consumer-facing companies. And they're like, yeah, I can see how this would actually accelerate the growth of my portfolio company. Um, So yeah, what you guys should talk. Um, so hopefully that will become more and more common over time that like, you know, rather than raising a series B from four VCs, you raise from three VCs and then allocate part of it to, to your customers. What, uh, what do you think is like the value that, that WeFunder provides other than, um, 
uh, I mean, we, we fund her not only to the community, but to, to the startup that, that decides to, to work with you guys. Like, is it uh, uh, just more capital that they can have from different source or is it? Certainly you know, what for a lot, of, a lot of founders, like it's an easier way to raise capital, a quicker, easier way to raise capital um, because now you can raise from 100% of the population, not just 8% of the population. And you can get in front of 1.4 million WeFunder users. Um, and then the other value proposition, I think, is like, you know, this is the best possible way to delight your customers. If your customers love you, love your brand, love your product, um, I can't think of a better way to delight them than to let them uh, invest in your company. And generally, it's a, it's a good thing to delight your customers. <laughs> I want to ask, like, how does, how does WeFunder, I guess, make their money, right? As a bit like, I mean, do they take clips of the, the fundraise like two percent or something or yeah. yeah we take a percentage of the amount raised so our default fee is seven and a half percent of the amount raised so if you raise half a million bucks we keep whatever that is 37 and a half grand nice um how, how has it been uh i guess like how has uh your position at the company how has it been doing this just since it's kind of like a really new uh a concept and, and something you're trying to uh, definitely grow and, and get get um, to to uh, a new level. Like uh, it doesn't seem, or I mean, at least like it, it it doesn't seem businesses automatically have this option, and it's kind of a new option. And trying to educate them must be a challenge, or you know, like a convincing act. Like, what's it been like trying to to grow the company? I guess just internally for you guys. Yeah. Um... It's certainly, yeah, that's uh, one of the biggest challenges, right? It's just getting the word out. I think um, more and more, like as people, as founders hear about this and they know that it's legal and it's possible and that it's, you know, not only kind of, you know, uh, kind of credible, but I would say it, it's not that hard to persuade someone that like recruiting all of your customers as investors will be a good thing for your business. Um, and so there were some legal challenges until about a year ago. A year ago, the SEC fixed those or fixed significant, um, significantly improved the laws. So since then, the growth has been much more um, explosive. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like uh, it's uh, it's not quite that it sells itself. It's, it's still a challenge. It's still, you know, the, the, it's not the conventional way to raise capital and we've still got a big kind of, um, you know, that's the biggest kind of thing we're focusing on as a company is how do we accelerate the growth and make it so that this is the default um, route for founders to raise capital. It's such a no-brainer for you to raise from your customers and community that like every startup fund is going to do it. So we're a long way from there. Um, but yeah, certainly the growth over the last year has been, um, has been really nice. I think we're about 4X up year over year. Um, sure. So, uh, I was just going to ask. I was reading too, like uh, two companies, like Rip Replit, and it was April. They raised a minimum, or they raised around five million each. Mm -hmm. uh, do they do? Do these startups have a cap in mind in terms of how much they want to raise, or does it just happen from the demand and they go off of that? Yeah, there's a legal limit of five million dollars per year through this oh. regulation crowdfunding exemption, so it kind of cuts off when you get to that. Nice. Just uh, curious on on that. And what do uh, what do you 
what, what have you heard from, I guess, like the, the investors who are um, <laughs> new to investing in the, the startups um, just since like it's a whole new thing? Like, did they, do they like it or like, do they, you know, like what's, what's there been, what's their, you know, feedback or feelings been like? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's basically to, you know, do you think it should be possible for you to invest in early stage companies? that you want to invest in or not most people would say i should be able to and uh you know we try to communicate this is risky uh, this is an illiquid investment your capital might be locked up for 10 years if you ever see a return at all we try to highlight the risks um so hopefully you know investors are coming into this with their eyes open we definitely don't want to be you know kind of uh, communicating a brand of like hey like invest in startups and you're gonna, gonna become an overnight millionaire um kind of thing um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the ability to invest in a brand that you love and be in on the ground floor alongside VCs and, you know, not have to wait until they go public in eight years time, but because you are an early user, you get to invest, you know, in this, in the seed round. Like, I think most people think that's, uh, that's pretty good. Certainly we funder investors think, uh, think that's kind of cool. Do you, do you see like similarities to Coinbase or I guess Robinhood in some way? Just since... uh, yeah, for sure. Right. Like marketplaces for investors to invest in things that they're interested in. Um, you know, Robinhood investing in companies, right? It's just Robinhood is investing in public companies. We fund right, investing right. in private companies. So certainly, certainly lots of parallels. Yeah. Yeah. We, with, we really like right. startups and entrepreneurs and early stage uh, private companies. So that's the kind of key, key differentiator. But you, you could describe us as Robin Hood for the private well, markets. I, I got to ask you, uh, Johnny, like, what do you think gets a company to raise a significant amount of capital, such as five million? Just since I'm, I'm wondering, like, how, uh, like, what gets people so interested to fund something? Just since, you know, there's some shitty startups, right? And then there's some pretty cool ones at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think determines the success of the people who are like the founders or the, the fundraising teams who are on the platform to raise uh, you know the maximum amount versus smaller amounts and you know usually it's um seeing a lot of other people do it or you know just giving you the floor <laughs> it can be a bunch of different things but i think probably the the number one reason is um you know a founder has like an army of a company has an army of loyal customers and fans right so uh you know if you have a brewery and everyone loves your beer there's this brewery in nashville called bearded iris um it was just everyone in town uh thinks that beer is amazing um and so if they were like hey we're, we're opening up a community around if you if you like to our customers we'd love for you to invest then boom everyone funds that immediately you know mercury have forty thousand passionate startup founders as customers repla had 10 million users who were learning to code and so for me, uh, having a large audience or and a passionate audience, um, it doesn't need to be customers. Like Leah Labs is a company that is trying to cure cancer in dogs, right? And so a number of their investors, their dogs had died of cancer. And so they were investing in this company because they wanted to try to be a part of curing cancer in dogs. Um, so it doesn't need to be customers. It can be like a, you know, a community or like an audience that cares about this cause that you're working on. But uh, that's probably the number one ingredient in the uh, recipe of success, I would say. For, for like a, a brewery or a restaurant, like how did they, do they, I guess, pledge like um, to, to the investors uh, the, of the public? Do they pledge um, like a return of 
minimum amount? Or like how do they distribute returns? Uh, so the investment structure varies between the, the different companies. So some use safes, convertible notes, price rounds, there are revenue share deals, simple loans with a, a fixed interest rate and a fixed term. You know, there's there's a bunch of different investment structures. What what I say is like imagine a world where we funder doesn't exist, you're raising capital from investors. Okay, how are you raising capital? What structure are you going to use to do that? Then put that structure up on WeFunder. That's interesting. Um, yeah, there's just so much going on in the, the public and investing space. I just read that uh, Elon Musk was taking over Twitter. It seems, yeah. it seems like he has 10 companies now he's got to deal yeah, with. He's, he's a busy man. <laughs> well, I guess like I, that's off topic, but like, do you have any thoughts there just since you're kind of in the selling and I guess fundraising space? Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have strong opinions on it. It feels like everyone's super polarized one way or the other. <clears throat> True. I like generally, I think I'm kind of in the middle on, on free speech, um, which seems to be kind of the, the central question. And with, with Elon's takeover of Twitter, um, mm. you know, for me, like we should have a middle ground, like some censorship makes sense. You know, we should probably ban Adolf Hitler from Twitter. <laughs> Adolf yeah, yeah, right. from Twitter. <laughs> We should rename it Twitler, maybe. Um, but you know, but like too much censorship, I'm not a fan of. So, yeah. Generally, I mean, I'm I'm in Nashville, so pretty pretty middle of the road on a lot of stuff. Try to be less. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like everything is so polarized these days. Um, we need to just kind of you know, how how has uh... to the other side, be friends with each other. You know, yeah. this is like. <laughs> going to a corner and just like getting more and more polarized seems like yeah bad yeah, in the world. yeah how has the, the, the culture shift between san francisco been to to um the south um good yeah i mean <laughs> you can definitely tell it's a little more of a purple place than uh than san francisco which is a very very bright blue place um but uh you yeah, feel like I mean, it's easier is... to to operate and or do you What's feel that? like you you feel like your mind has less clutter just since San Francisco is kind of um, busy. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. I think a little. Nashville is like a little more uh, relaxed pace of life. It's uh, you know a little warmer usually than uh, than San Francisco. The, the icy winds of San Francisco. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, this, and you know, my wife and I have three kids, so uh, they have a little more space to run around in. So it does does feel a little more relaxed here than. Uh, then San Francisco I was back in SF last week and it's like, well, yeah, this, you can just tell the like intensity of the town. Yeah. It's kind of no, exhilarating. You're kidding. I love you're kidding. living there in my 20s. There, there definitely is. And well, I guess with the, the pandemic, things dwindled down, but there was kind of coming back. So uh, just a couple more questions here, Johnny. I, I did love to, to, would love to ask you are, um, I guess like what's been the best personal milestone so far like within your, within your time at WeFunder just, uh, things you've been able to overcome or I mean in the company has done at the same time yeah best personal milestone um, in life is definitely becoming a dad uh, oh, cool. three times um, I think within WeFunder um, I don't know we've been growing fast um, the last year or so um, we've built an awesome team um, but honestly probably the thing I'm most proud of is like the resilience and tenacity to stick at it when the going was uh, a little more tough. So I joined in 2018. It was pretty linear, pretty bumpy for the first couple of years. Um, a lot of people on the team left um, 
we all took a pay cut at one point like mm-hmm. obviously it looked like the company might you know kind of not be around at one point we were you know really struggling to grow um but uh yeah just kind of stuck with it um and uh yeah that's probably you know kind of thing i'm most uh most proud of probably with my own sure contribution. I, I guess like you know with the whole concept of entrepreneurship it's, it's definitely building something from scratch and getting it to uh somewhere that's not scratch uh what what do you think gave you the personal tenacity to get over i guess like the days where you felt like or it seemed like things weren't going the right way i don't know yeah uh (laughs) um yeah i really don't know i guess that's like pretty deep rooted in you um Sure. Played a lot of sport growing up. Maybe there's something there. I went to Zambia when I was 18 for eight months to teach in a school there, which I don't know, like that probably toughened me up a little bit. Um, probably my parents' uh, influence right. uh, was super important. But yeah, I honestly don't really know. I would say I'm a very tenacious person um, and have a lot of grit and resilience to stick at something. Um but I don't really know where that comes from. Sure. How, how much has a company grown uh, since the 2018? I mean, not only in revenue, but like uh, things you, you see like uh, that, that don't show up on a balance sheet or on, a, on a, you know, an income statement, like um, getting over all these things, you know, like uh, either it's a per- internal uh, or you know, the group um, overcomes some, some challenges along the way. Like uh, what, um, what are some of the things that you've seen that you guys were able to overcome? Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly the growth is the big one, right? As a startup, you need to grow. And so when we're flat, when we're growing very slowly, um, that was, uh, you know, that's the most obvious thing that I think has changed. I think like the culture the people that we have um just like very passionate about our mission very you know positive and very you know entrepreneurial and just moving super quick and um just taking ownership of stuff um and so building that culture i think i don't know if that's overcoming something but you know it's just it's just kind of building something i guess versus overcoming something um but uh yeah that's it's we've tripled the team in the last year or so and i think we've done a pretty amazing job of um retaining their kind of um distinctiveness of the culture and not having that be diluted um by growing the team um very quickly which i think is very common in startups um so that's been a pretty pretty big win nice over the last year i think is is a uh, we funder i'm not going to say we funders on we funder is there a way for the public that you guys have offered the, to, to fund we funder or yeah we that even... ran a reg cf raise ourselves a community round ourselves a year ago um we'll probably do that again we've we've actually only raised from our users down the years um so trying to eat our own dog food as they say so, <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> yeah um and yeah so far i mean some of the guys that got in earlier they're looking pretty good on paper you cool know, no, no kind of returns there in practice yet but on paper uh we're doing well and um i'm sure we'll be we'll be raising capital again in the future no immediate plans but uh yeah watch this space 
Yeah, yeah. I think one of uh, one of my recent guests too, Andrew Gazdecki, he he might have mentioned he funded WeFunder or something like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not, the man. No, yeah. We actually have a partnership with uh, with MicroAcquire. Wow. Yeah, he <laughs> has a not 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 so similar, but uh, well, his his whole thing was just really fascinating in terms of getting liquidity, and I guess this is also uh, in the same sphere, but not necessarily cats or apples and oranges. Just uh yeah founders trying to raise money versus trying founders trying to leave the company away so yeah yeah <laughs> um the tagline was we funded companies get my can now get micro acquired which is a nice line that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> um well, almost here towards the end johnny but it's been, been uh cool you know getting to know how the company has emerged from uh the the, the days you were saying it was t- difficult to to be there so hang in there guys Stick yeah. at it. There's light at the end of the tunnel. For, for sure. Last couple of questions here, Johnny, are, uh, you know, um, what advice would you give to Johnny Price at 20, 20 years old? Uh, maybe if you were in the UK back then or wherever you were, just uh, <laughs> when it comes to this probably, uh, business lifestyle. <laughs> probably like learn to be organized, uh, <laughs> which I haven't done in the 19 years after I turned 20. Um, I also think maybe go into startups versus go into management consulting. Management consulting had some good good things. I'm really good at, I don't know, you know, business analytics, like kind of Excel modeling, I'm really, really good at, and that definitely is a useful skill. And, um, you know, there's, there was some things that probably also taught me a lot about tenacity and resilience, actually, because you work in like 100-hour weeks and it's a grind. Um, mm, yeah. And you're around smart people as well. Plus, you get paid a lot, and so the reason <laughs> can't go wrong with that. <laughs> the house now is probably in large part due to you know doing that out of college. So, and you know, it took me on this career path. So, I'm definitely not like there's no big regrets, but I do kind of I think it's a cooler thing. And I mean, if you want to end up in startups, right? Which I've ended up in startups, and I love startups, and it's really cool. It's like you know, do that, do that out of college. Um, and just kind of when your brain is the most malleable, you know, um, and then like learning the most, like learn the startup stuff versus learning, you know, how to be a consultant um, because they're actually pretty antithetical. What do you think is a, uh, what do you think you love about entrepreneurship or, you know, being in the fundraising space, just uh, not necessarily within the, uh, actually speaking in circles, but what um what do you think you love about entrepreneurship in, in general if you like something about it? Um I think that I'm a pretty mission-driven person. So um I really believe in WeFunder's mission of uh trying to you know uh let everyone invest in startups, not just rich people, and make it easier for founders to raise capital, especially underrepresented founders, right? Women entrepreneurs of color you know folks outside of silicon valley new york and boston and so you know if you believe in the mission of what you're doing then it's just cool and fun and uh exciting and inspiring and kind of what i want to do with my life to basically try to you know have that mission grow in the world um and you know have more people benefit from this thing that you believe in and and so that's probably the number one thing and then also, the smaller the company, the more of an outsized impact you have, right? So if you're mm-hmm. looking for a 10,000-person company, 
your ability to shift the direction of that company, even if your senior senior leader is is less, right? Whereas if you're working at a ten person company, then you have a lot of agency. It's on you whether that company grows or not. Um, so if you have a mission you believe in and you want to work to bring into the world and to you know take root, then you, know, you can have more of an impact on that. I'd say in a smaller company. And then you know I also don't really like bureaucracy. I like moving quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know kind of WeFunder is a very very entrepreneurial culture. Um, you know, you're surrounded by brilliant, brilliant people. Um, so yeah, get to wear, get to wear <laughs> clubs every day, you know, versus a suit every day. So yeah, sure. good things about a uh, startup life. The, the, I almost forgot. It doesn't about pay that, that well. Earn <laughs> a lot more money if I was still in consulting. Although hopefully maybe there's an equity payout one day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess last question here is, what, or what is your startup mindset if you had to? I guess, explain it to someone. Yeah, um, I would say uh, relentless uh, positivity. Wow. Does that mean uh, just being relentless, like never giving up and always having that attitude? Or what do you think? A little. I guess the emphasis is more on the positivity part. So, you know, startups are really hard, right? It's a roller coaster. There's ups and downs. Like, you know, the been many many downs that we wonder and so everyone is feeling the pressure everyone is you know feeling stressed out and um you know you can either be kind of a contributor to that stress Mm -hmm. and you can have a negative attitude in that place or you can be positive and i kind of have this attitude with respect to life overall actually right so it's like whatever situation in life you can you can see the positives or you can see the negatives and there'll always be people that are better than you. You'll always be going through hardships. You'll, there'll always be challenges and strife. And so if you can try to, you know, see the positives in every situation, then that's just a better place to be. And I realize it's not, not quite as simple as just saying, be, be happier, but like, <laughs> yeah, right. if you can try to cultivate that, I think like you'll have a happier life. You, You'll also, you know, be a better colleague at the startup you're working at. I, I like to think of like, you know, imagine being in the trenches of World War One with like, you know, people kind of throwing mortar shells at you. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, can you be positive there? You know. <laughs> nice. Well, last thing, second last thing here is, uh, what 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 book would you recommend to uh, what is a, a book that has helped you, or, I mean, maybe like something you draw inspiration from. Yeah, um, one that always comes to mind is um, Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Okay. Which talks a lot about um, uh, system one and system two thinking mm-hmm. uh, and just like building people's trust in very subtle ways. Um, and uh, yeah, there's just many, many like really cool examples in that book um, about kind of communication and um and kind of trust and credibility which i think in my job is is really um (laughs) it's really interesting um and it's kind of you know it's maybe not not the book you would you would think of uh, like startup startup founders but um there's a lot in there that's relevant for startup founders especially on the kind of sales sales and relationship building side nice well i mean 
Johnny, the last part here is how do listeners of the show find out more about WeFunder or potentially uh, be customers? Yeah, you can go to WeFunder.com. You can browse through startups and invest in a startup um, if you want to become an angel investor. Um, and if you want to raise capital with us, you can go to WeFunder.com. There's a button to raise capital and then you can start an application and someone on my team will reach out and hopefully we can help you raise the capital you're looking for. Cool. Well, Johnny, I can't say enough. Thank, thanks so much again for the time. It's, uh, thanks so much, Dan. This is really fun.